1: We've got a a lot of stuff to talk about. As the guy said, this is Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 a.m. on 1420. If you like this show, you can actually pick it up on The Fish, 955thefish.com, as a podcast. So if you missed something here uh, and you want to find out what it was, you can always go there and re-listen to it. You can go to my website, BullingtonCapital.com, and sign up for the upcoming seminar. It's going to be... Thursday, April 30th, 630. We're going to use the same format that we used the last time. It's going to be a question and answer format. Makes it a lot easier on everybody. People seem to really like that and had requested it from the last seminar. So we're going to do a question and answer format. And the main topic is really going to be the short-term and long-term impacts of COVID-19. Basically the, the coronavirus disease. They're calling it Covid nineteen, the Corona uh, coronavirus disease of 2019, and there are lots of things that are going around in the news. We're going to be, we'll talk about what kind of impacts that might have on the economy. I'll be talking about that all the way up into the show as well. And if you have questions about that, feel free to give us a call uh, in the office or contact me through my website, and I'd be glad to try to address that for you. What What I do know now. About The coronavirus is that, you know, it's a strain of viruses. Uh, this is actually a much stronger strain, uh, it has very uh, similar characteristics to SARS uh, and uh, other. Um, I forgot what the other uh, inflictions were that have shown up over the past few years or at least within the past de- couple decades. But it's a uh, you can learn an awful lot about this, by the way, by going to the cdc.gov, um, Center for Disease Control, and they've got a lot of really good information on there. I will tell you this, a lot of the stuff that you read on the internet is, you really have to watch the sources that you're getting it from. And even some of these sources, I, I think some of them can be, sometimes they go overboard in trying to warn people if, if that's possible, but, you know, I guess you're better, uh, better off, um, over-prepared than under-prepared. So from that standpoint, I guess, you know, they're doing the right things. And, uh, it, it really, it's, it's a, a, they're a large family of viruses and they're common. Uh, this is just a recent adaptation of other viruses And the impacts that something like that can have, that's what everybody's worried about. I think GE came out yesterday and said they thought that the impact was going to be somewhere around $500 million. So $500 million, when you hear it like that, it's like $500 million. Well, actually, the company that reported it wrote it that way. They said, it's going to cost GE $500 million. So I just decided to look at what GE's revenues were, and I'm going to verify that right now. Uh, I'm actually waiting for my computer to pick this up for me. But uh, GE has revenues, I believe they're around $60 billion, $60 billion in annual revenues at GE. Now, as soon as this loads up, <laughs> I'll, I'll verify that for sure. But if you have $60 billion in revenue, and you have a slowdown of around $500 million, Okay. That's slightly less than 1%. Slightly less than 1%. And remember GE does business all over the world. They a lot of their operation, they have a lot of operations in China manufacturing product to ship back to the United States. And actually here I was wrong. It's not 60 billion. It's 105 billion. Wow, oh, I must have been looking at a different company. So, uh, I got those 60 and 105 billion com- confused, but yeah, what's 40 billion dollars, right? <laughs> Unless you're in the media, because the media says, Hey, GE said this is going to cost $500 million. Everybody goes, what? $500 million. Uh, and then you look up the actual sales of GE and you find out that GE sales are 105 billion. And five hundred million is actually slightly less than one half of one percent. But see, if they told you that it was only one half of one percent, people go back to work. They stop reading. They start. They stop hanging out on the internet. They get back to their real life, and uh, you know, suddenly the advertisers' ads aren't being clicked on. And they're not getting as much attention. So you have to be aware that that kind of stuff goes on, that it happens, uh, and it's going to continue to happen. So it's hard really to know exactly what the long-term impacts of this are going to be. But a half a percent, you know, if you go a half a percent on uh, the entire economy, that's a lot. Half a percent, that, that that's a lot. Uh, is it ending uh, or earth-shattering? Nope does it make people nervous? Absolutely. Take a look at the stock market. I mean, it has been a wild ride. Wild the past month and it's gotten a lot of people upset. And I'm taking a look at this and I'd I'd be surprised. In fact, as this begins to as it continues to unfold, I'm going to keep following it and I'm going to keep talking about the impact that it actually has. Now, the impact that it might have, it could absolutely slow things down, could absolutely slow things down. In fact, airline travels down, you know, cruise ships, a lot of them are sitting in the harbors. Okay. Are those big major contributors to the worldwide economy? No, but they're, they're a part. And all the people that work at those companies eat food, drive cars, or maybe not drive cars because they're on the. Cruise ship all the time, (laughs) but they wear clothing, you know, and basically they're consumers. So they're not going to stop consuming the basics. Okay, the basics are still going to be there. They still have to eat. They still have to brush their teeth. They still have to wash their hair. All that kind of stuff is largely unaffected by that. I mean, it might slow down just a little bit. And as GE said, GE makes a lot of things that are are much more sensitive. To a slowdown in the economy, you know things like jet engines. When you make jet engines, and the economy slows down, and airline travel slows down, that means they're not replacing the engines quite as frequently. And and again, GE came out with a an estimate, and the estimate was about a half of a percent. So I I guess my point to all this is that you know when you're trying to read into a lot of the stories, try to keep it in perspective of the overall, the big picture. And it's kind of one of my jobs, Bullington Capital, we're uh, asset managers, um, retirement planners, the uh, uh, financial advisors. One of the roles that all three of those various items have is to kind of take a look at the larger picture, try to make sense of it, try to explain it if we can, the best that we can, try to determine what the best routes to take are. And and I'm going to tell you right now, it's too early to know. It is absolutely too early to know. So in most cases, the best route is to continue on your current plan, whatever that plan is. Let's say you've decided to be a 40% fixed income investor and 60% in stock because if this does turn out to slow the economy down, do you know how much the economy slowed down when the housing crisis happened, by the way? was less than 3%. Less than 3%. So why did the stock market drop 50? Why did it go down 50% from November of 2007 to March of 2009? It's actually a little bit more than 50%. Why did that happen? I'll tell you why it happened. Because they're stocks. (laughs) And that's what stocks do. Stocks overreact. People overreact. Why do people overreact? Because they're people because it's very difficult to control your emotions in most situations much less your life savings you know when your life savings are on the line people have a tendency to get very emotional they tend to make emotional uh, emotionally based decisions they don't their logic oftentimes is you know being persuaded by the emotional content of whatever's going on at that moment in time. And it causes people to make really bad decisions sometimes. And I am absolutely positive there are an awful lot of people who sold their long-term positions, or that were supposed to be long-term positions, over the past couple weeks. And quite frankly, it's just too early to know exactly what the impact is going to be. Now, my guess is that having gone back and looked at a lot of these things, Some of the all the materials that I've been looking at is I'm going to have with me at the seminar. So if you're there on April 30th, if you if you go to my website, at Bullington Capital, and sign up um, after the seminar, by the way, you can actually just call and I will forward you the uh, the links to all the articles. But since I'm still working on it, uh, I don't have it all together yet. But we're going to be talking about that. You'll be able to uh, see the material. I'll email you the material. You can have questions. That's a uh, that's a great way to be able to kind of calm yourself down a little bit because you know it's it is rightly so. It's upsetting when you're watching your uh, uh, portfolio values fluctuate wildly. Did, did you know that one of, the single best day? Now I'm, I have to double check this because <laughs> now I'm like now I'm like everybody else. I heard this. It made sense. It was the single largest one point day. And I guess it was in points. I can't imagine it was probably the most in percentage gain, but it was the single largest point day for the Dow in the history of the Dow, the day that it went up over 5% in a day. Because it goes up over 5% in one day. So missing that day. Wow. That is a, that's a bummer you know one of the reasons incidentally you know people ask me well how how could you be so optimistic well first of all you know i i like history not regular history i like economic history i like to see how that affected where people put their money where governments put their money what they did to respond to worldwide events like this why well, i'm i'm not even sure why actually i think a big part of it is because i've seen or and been able to read how governments recovered from some pretty big messes without having a whole lot of tools. They didn't have nearly the tools that we have today. And they were able to come out of these things, and eventually things uh, flourished. I mean, look at where the world is today. Even in third world countries. By the way, a lot of third world countries, especially our smaller countries, who have just been improving lately, a lot of African countries They actually have infrastructure that's better than ours because it's newer. They didn't have running water. They didn't have electricity up until the last 40, 50 years or so. So they have much newer equipment than we do here in America in a lot of places. Isn't that amazing? And by the way, the uh, uh, planet, the air, despite what a lot of people say, is actually somewhat cleaner is it is the temperature heating up yep and that's absolutely happening but the uh and there's there's a whole bunch of stuff that, that you could fantasize about and that's a, that's another part of one of my points is that all this stuff that could happen in the in the long run the vast majority of stuff doesn't happen especially the bad stuff a lot of the bad stuff doesn't happen the good stuff by the way doesn't happen quickly enough for me i read quite a bit about what's happening One of the reasons that we've been investing in semiconductors for so long. Uh, Semiconductors, by the way, are a part of a lot of the funds that you may use or invest in, especially if you have a uh, large cap fund out there. If you've got a large cap technology, I think that's that's a good place to be. A mid cap technology, that's a good place to be. Uh, Semiconductor funds, those are good places to be. I've got to take a real quick commercial break here in a couple minutes, so I'm going to not go into those right yet. I'll wait until after the commercial break and we'll talk about why those are good places to be, where I think that uh, economy might be headed five years from now and 10 years from now. And it's not a magic trick. It's just observing what's happening now. I have more time to read than a lot of people do because I have to do it for a living. (laughs) That always helps. And keeping up with it, I enjoy. I really enjoy it. And again, I was talking about economic history and how we recovered from certain things. It is fascinating. It hasn't really changed all that much. I mean, the, the basic tools, the basic tools are still the same. Now, we've added a lot to those basic tools. Some of the tools that aren't so basic, like the Fed funds rate, um, that's that was not a big thing up until the, uh, the depression that happened back in the 1930s. Then it became huge. And the FDIC, FDIC coming in, that became huge. Now I hear the music, so it's uh, saved me for a couple minutes. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. I'll be back after these messages. We're back, you're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon, and um, we were just talking about recent developments and markets. Upcoming seminar, we're going to be talk. We're going to be talking about that in more detail. I'm going to use the same format that I used the last time because I got a lot of positive feedback, and actually, people requested it. It's going to be a question and answer sessioner seminar sessioner. <laughs> yeah, I just created a new word, you know, put me in the Trump camp. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The uh uh anyway, so if you want to get to that that workshop, it's actually going to be a I I think it'll be a pretty good one. We're going to talk about the long-term impact of the coronavirus disease. Um actually it's supposed to be the long and short-term impacts of the coron- uh, coronavirus disease. I'll tell you what, the uh um I make requests and somehow they get not somebody doesn't read the whole thing. It was supposed to be the short term and the long term impacts. I'll get that changed. So anyway, coronavirus disease. people are uh, you know really upset. It's on every headline uh, you've got to have you have to understand something. you know the internet, radio, television, it's all very competitive. Everybody's looking for sponsors and advertisers. So the way to get more sponsors and advertisers on the internet is to get more views. They call it pay-per-click. Every time somebody reads an article and you see the, the ads next to it, somebody's getting charged. If they're not looking at the article, if they're not reading the article, they're not seeing the ads. So a lot of the stuff that you're reading out there is not necessarily, not not that they're evil, um, but you know they've got to survive. So... Everybody has their take on things, and they like to, I don't know, try to um, sensationalize some people do. So you got to be really careful when you're reading this stuff Uh, and uh, read into it a lot if if you're really worried about it. But anyway, uh, one of the uh, uh, things that I think is interesting, I just Googled how many people die from the flu each year. How many people on average die from the flu each year? And the Center for Disease Control estimates that It's somewhere around 56,000 people each year die from the flu or flu-like illnesses. Now, that is not to say that this coronavirus is not, it's a a really negative, bad thing. Uh, It's highly contagious. The thing is, they don't have a vaccine for it. Um, The mortality rate on it is not incredibly high. It's not a lot higher than uh, a lot of other diseases out there, uh, at least not from what I've been able to read again. <laughs> and I don't know if it's, uh, uh, you just don't know. And that's what makes things so hard today. You get so many stories coming from so many areas, and uh, it's just hard to do. But I think if you look at it, we had the MERS, or was the SARS, there's the SARS-2. Uh, all those things popped up and were handled and how are we handling them now the same way we did before? In fact, there's a a company that was actually working on coronavirus vaccines that already thinks that they have a uh, uh, something ready for testing. And if they go through testing and it's approved, it's probably another 90 days. Uh, what's going to happen over the next 90 days? Your guess is as good as mine. But I can tell you that one of the things that's probably not going to happen is that people are not going to stop eating, uh, people are not going to stop traveling uh, to work back and forth. Sure, a lot of people work at home today, but they're not going to be uh, not going to the grocery store or not going to pick up dry cleaning if they have it. Um, they're not going to stop brushing their teeth. And, and why does it, I know a lot of people think that, that that's just a stupid, Bill? Well, no, it's not. Actually, do you know how much money is spent on that kind of stuff? In fact, one of the uh, the companies that one of my favorite companies it's actually called Procter and Gamble. You might have heard of them. Procter and Gamble uh, has seventy almost sixty nine billion almost seventy billion dollars in revenue. Does that sound small? Seventy billion. The the makers of Crest and uh, I think it's Mister Clean products. The uh, Pampers, the Charmin. You think people will stop buying that stuff? I doubt it. In fact, they may end up spending more time at home and, uh, and in increasing their consumption of that. But over the long run, that's definitely not going to happen in the long run. As populations have a tendency to continue to grow, then these guys are going to actually do more in sales. And that's kind of how the whole thing works. We've had a, a lot of instances, very similar, a lot of outbreaks like this over the, over the years, Uh, Is this one bigger than those? It's too early to know yet. We just don't know. So until you know something concrete, and that's the hardest part, until you know something concrete, you probably don't want to do much. And and one of the biggest reasons uh, why is, if you look at the S&P 500, you look at it on, uh, this was on the 28th. So February 28th. It opens up, it opened up significantly below where it closed the day before. So open at twenty-nine sixteen goes down to twenty-eight fifty-five, which is about, hang on a second. Yeah, it's about two percent. So and and it opened up from the prior days closing price. It opened up two percent and then drops another two percent. So it's down four percent from the prior day's closing price. In 15 minutes. 15 minutes. 4%. Do you know that? That was almost a trillion dollars. <laughs> that was almost a tr- 4% in, in 15 minutes. And it's a trillion dollars. Okay. But then it reverses. It stops going down. And the closing price for that day was $29.54. Almost at its high of the day. And the volume was actually uh significantly greater than it's more than more than two hundred percent its average daily volume. So think about that for a second. And that was on a Friday, by the way. And if you get to look out for the bull uh, newsletter that just kind of focuses on stocks that are moving up real fast right now for a reason. The uh um, if you get that, I just put out a little letter there to the subscribers that where I talked about that exactly the same way I just talked about it. Stock market opened lower. That's called gapping down. It literally skipped from one price to another price that was lower than it had closed at the night before. Then it continues to go down. Then it reverses and it goes up and it closes re- right near the high of the day. And the volume was sig- significantly greater than its average daily volume. That's called a reversal pattern for technicians out there. The next day was a Monday, and on Friday, so I wrote about that. I said, hey, look, looks like there was a reversal pattern. Maybe this will hold. When these patterns hold up, that oftentimes that will mark the absolute low of a correction. Now, it's too early to tell if that's you know, going to hold true, but it was a good sign to see at that time. And so the, the next day, on Monday, the market gaps up. <laughs> it gaps open. It, it ends up closing that day. I'm going to measure from the low on Friday. From the low on Friday to the closing price, which, by the way, on the Monday, it closed at the high of the day. And that was 3090 And it was over a – from the low Friday – to the close on Monday was over eight percent. Holy cow! You know what? I'm just doing the math on that. That was <laughs> that's like that's that that's about one point seven trillion dollars in change in in a change in prices. That is mind-boggling. That that is so it's crazy. But my big point here is that an awful lot of people were really upset on Friday. They were really upset because the market had given back a lot of gains that had made over the past well, couple of years actually. It actually had touched briefly the price or when i say the market I'm, i actually I'm, i have to apologize i mean the s and p 500 the uh so the s and p 500 had touched the prices that it had reached in January of 2018, and so it briefly was you know had wiped out two years on paper worth of gains, but here's what I can tell you about that two-year time period. The economy grew during that two-year time period. Stock prices had actually gotten slightly ahead of where they should have been during that two-year time period. In fact, if you took a chart of the S&P and you drew, drew a line through it at yesterday's closing price to the price back in 2017, that's actually about the growth rate in sales and profits. It's about the growth rate. But the market was down at that point in time, about 10% off of its high. And when it reached that point in 2018, guess what? Those stocks really didn't deserve that price. They hadn't grown into that, that price yet. They were actually a little bit ahead of themselves. And you may remember some of the shows we talk about where we were talking about that. The large cap stocks are slightly ahead of themselves. That makes me uncomfortable. Why does it make me uncomfortable? Because sooner or later, valuations are kind of like gravity. You know, sooner or later they matter. Sooner or later, you're going to have to cut, that jet's going to have to land again and uh, and refuel, and then take back off. And that's basically where we are now. And I'm I'm actually more, uh, I guess, more at peace because when the prices are ahead of themselves, I don't like that. I don't, like prices. I don't like to be paying more than I think I should for buying something. That doesn't change that quickly, by the way. And so here we are over a uh, two-year time period. Market briefly touches back where it was. Those people that have, listening, have been listening to the show for a long time know that that is an absolutely normal thing. It's a normal thing. It's been happening ever since I've been in the market, uh, well, since I've been working in this field, it's 30 years now, and if you go back and you look, it's actually been happening a lot longer than that. You get these really long periods, sideways periods. That's why if you're going to be a stock investor, you better have a a minimum of a five-year outlook, a minimum of a five-year outlook. And then there, there's no guarantee that that will actually show a profit. And I think it's, it's kind of funny that a lot of people say, well, you know, in the long run, stocks do better than other classes, And that's absolutely true. In the long run, that means five years or longer. Or if you're looking out 10 years, the longer you look, the better the chart looks. The longer time period. Take a, a chart of the S&P 500. Take a weekly chart. And look at how good that looks if you go over the years. But what you're going to find is there are long time periods where it's either flat or negative. So that's kind of the price. That's, that's the cost of achieving those returns. It's a psychological cost. Because you're going to go through long time periods where it doesn't seem like you're making a whole lot of progress. And in a lot of cases you aren't. In some cases you can go for five or six, seven years and, and be negative. That can happen. Is it often? Nope. Thank goodness. (laughs) That would really be, it's hard enough as it is. What the, what kinds of things can you do about that? We're going to talk about that at the seminar too. What can you do to help yourself to avoid a five year or 10 year negative time period, negative returns for the people that, that, have called into the show, that say, I think you should be 100% in stocks. Um, I I agree if you can afford the risk. If you can afford to go sideways or be very negative for several years in a row, and you're spending so little of your savings that it's really not going to matter that much, then great. You'd need an awful lot of money to be able to do that. The rest of us are going to put some money up. We're going to put some of it in stocks. We're going to put some of it in bonds. We're going to carry some of it in cash. And when we go through those periods where the market's down a lot, we're, we're going to take some of that money out of the safer money and take advantage of those lower prices. It's called rebalancing your portfolio. Why would you do that? Because it can help you recover quicker. Because when you get older, when you get closer to retirement or if you're just not an aggressive investor, I got a lot of young people who are afraid of risk. Now, unfortunately for them, that's going to cost them a lot of, of money because they're hiding out in CDs and savings accounts that are paying next to nothing right now. And there's a better way. You know, there's a better way. If they're younger, you should be doing it. If you're older, you need to be doing it. And we'll talk about that at the seminar as well. How do you recover as quickly as you can from a major decline? Yeah, I hear the music. That means I have to take a real quick commercial break. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned. I'll be right back.
0: There are children without homes, but we just move along to take care of our own. There's so much suffering. Just outside of
1: back. Hey, you're listening to Bill Bullington. Um, I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon on 1420. If you'd like to learn more about me or my company, you can go to the uh, internet and it's at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. And we're kind of talking about the seminar that we have coming up. It's a, uh, we're going to be talking about the long-term impact of coronavirus disease and uh, uh, all the things associated with that. What does that mean for the economy? What does that mean for the stock market, your investments? And um, we're going to be talking about both the short-term and long-term impacts of COVID-19, what to do now and the coming months, which is something that we had just started to touch on right before the commercial break. And uh, the rebalancing act, the act of rebalancing your portfolio. This doesn't get a lot of attention in the media and it it really should because the oh characteristics that of the average investor the average investor by the way if you go there's a, a firm out there that's called Dalbar D A L B A R I don't even know what it stands for I just know that they do research for uh, invest on investors on inv, investor behavior it's one of their major businesses they they show you how the average investor does it's not hard to be average by the way. Because the average is pretty low, and the one one reason that keeps coming to my mind, uh, the reason that people are doing so poorly and that the average investor is doing so poorly, by the way, when you talk to everybody, it, it's kind of funny. Everybody kind of feels like they're better than average, <laughs> which is uh, uh really kind of wild because uh, being better than average is it's actually not that hard to get up in that top 25% is not that hard to do from uh, an intellectual thing it's that you don't have to be a genius to do it but you do have to have a lot of um, grit yeah that that's the word I like the best is grit because if you're going to do better than average you're probably going to have to invest in stocks and if you're going to invest in stocks there are no stable stocks I hear this all the time. I'd like to invest in stocks, but I only want the stable ones. Oh, you mean the kind that never go down and give it 8% dividend? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, sorry. <laughs> if if that were available, um, nobody would have to work, or you'd have to work for a very short time and then just live off the dividends from that stable stock, but... Since that's not there, it doesn't mean you can't reach your goals of being able to generate X number of dollars for retirement uh, uh, without running out of money. It's just that you probably won't be able to reach your goals in the fashion that you would like to. Most people just – one of the reasons that Bernie Madoff was so successful is he told people what they wanted to hear. He said, yeah. I can't pro- promise much. Only about ten to twelve percent or so, uh, and uh, everybody went, "Wow, you can do ten or twelve percent with no risk." Oh yeah, but I can't do much more than that, and and they fell for that, and and they bought it. So in fact, that brings up another question: uh, What is a realistic return for stocks? What's realistic? I don't know if you go back to early. You know, 1900s, the average is somewhere between 9 and 10%, depending on when you start. Yeah. If you went to 1967 up through 1980, the return was negative. You had a negative return, the yeah, 13 years. Uh, if you went through the year 2000 through, uh, let's see, 2009, you were actually 50% below where you were at one point in 2009 than you were in 2000. Now think about that for a second. Nobody, by the way, that I know of, well, actually some really rich people made it through that, didn't have a problem because they really didn't watch too closely their investments. And But, but most people who were retired really had to make some major lifestyle changes. A lot of them did. And if they would have known what I'm about to tell you, they may not have had to do that. They may have been able to avoid having to make major lifestyle changes late in life. Isn't that exactly when you want to do that, by the way? After you've worked and toiled for 40 years, then you want to have to cut way back. (laughs) I'm just totally kidding. And uh, Anyway, so what do you do? You take the amount of money that you have invested, figure out what your decline tolerance is. Now, I know that's a long word or phrase, decline tolerance. Here's what that means. Write your portfolio down, write the amount of savings you have down, and then start subtracting percentages from it. Okay. Take off 10%. How do you feel? Are you losing sleep? By the way, this is not easy. You really have to think about this. And if you're married... You should probably have your spouse there with you because this is going to determine how much money you make. Okay. This is really going to determine, especially today, now that the interest rates are so low because you're not going to make any money on the, uh, well, you'll make a little bit of money, but you won't make much money on bonds. So you need to figure out how much of a decline can I really take without starting to lose sleep? For some people, they're going to say 10%. That's a maximum I could do. Okay. Here's how this math works. Take 10% of your money, double that. That's 20%. Don't put more than 20% into stocks. And by the way, 20%. Let, let's imagine that, that BlackRock, a $7 trillion money management behemoth, has a uh, uh, a projection that stocks will probably return 6% over the next, you know, 10 to 20 years. So if that's correct, by the way, I'll have to double check that. So sorry, BlackRock, if I got that wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was in the last uh, uh, research report I was looking at. And if it, if it's wrong, I'll correct it next week. (laughs) But it was around 6%. And which is pretty reasonable. And and they try to be conservative too. So, but if you're at 6% and you've only got 20% of your money invested at 6%, 6% of 20% is 1.2%. Do you hear me? 20% of your money invested with a 6% return is only going to give you 1.2%. It's only going to add 1.2% to your total. Now, if you got the other 80% and the other 80% is earning... less than 2%, which is probably what it's going to be earning going forward with the rate cuts, at least for the next couple of years. So that is a, uh, uh, what's 8%? I'm sorry, what is uh, 2% of 8%? 80%. 2% of 80%. It's like 1.6. So if you're earning 2% and 80% of your money, that's one6 if you're you've got twenty percent of your money earning six percent, that's one point two. So one point two that that's right around three percent. That is really hard. That's tough. It's tough to live on three percent. Think about that. Really, really difficult. Now I have to go back and I was being uh, interrupted here. Somebody's trying to track me down <laughs> while I'm trying to record the radio show. <laughs> but uh, so let's let's start from the beginning let's say you. I only want a 10% decline, that's all I can take. Okay, 10% is half of 20%. So 20% of your money, if it gets 6%, is 1.2% for your total. The uh, That's before fees, by the way. So you're actually probably looking at more like 1%. So 1% for the total. Now the other 80%, if you get 2% on that, and you net out 1% on that, that's 0.8%. You're That's actually a, a 2% return, not a 3%. Because so I didn't include the fees in the uh, in the other one, so you're looking at a two percent return if you do fairly well. Because remember, those stocks have to do six percent on twenty percent of your money to give you one point two. Now, at, when I look at that picture, when people are looking at that picture, when they hear that picture, a lot of people get up out of the you know the office and say, you know what, I, I think I, I can do better elsewhere. <laughs> And I go, well, yeah, because you're going to look at some, somebody's going to show you a, a portfolio that's been all stock. They're going to look at over the past 10 years, which by the way, is right near the bottom of the market over that time period. And it's going to look phenomenal because of the time period that they're looking at. So we're looking at things going forward. You know, if the next 20 years is like the last 20 years, actually the, over the last 20 years, Markets average like somewhere between 7 and 8%. That's pretty good. It's not bad. But if you only have 20% of your money invested that way, you're not going to make much money. So if I had, let, let's say I had 70% of my money invested that way. And let's say I netted 7% on that 70% or 6% on the 70%. That's 4.2% on the total. So 70% 70 of your money is invested in stock funds and you average a 6% rate of return. That's 4.2% on your total. Now the the other 30% that's getting 2%, that's going to add 0.6%. Still not bad. Not bad given the current interest rate environment. When you look at the alternatives, it's not bad. If you look at... That's one of the reasons I was looking at this nationwide product. They're willing to guarantee an income off of a, a portfolio that's 5%. There's a scale, actually. The, uh, it depends on how old you are. The older you get, less likely it is that you're going to live a lot longer, so they pay more. Okay. And that one's extremely competitive. That's one of the reasons that I'm using it. It's, it's not because I think that the rate is awesome. They have a, a guaranteed accumulation rate of a 7% simple rate. That's not a compounded. There's a big difference there. But if I put $100,000 in there, they would guarantee that 10 years from now, they would give me the income. Let's, let's say my age is 67 at that point. I think the income is about 5.3% off of $170,000. does not matter what the investment's worth. They're willing to do that. That's really good. In, in today's environment, that is a really good idea, I think. And by the way, unlike a lot of other, the, the, and do not take this as investment advice, by the way. Listen to my disclaimer at the beginning of the show and at the end of the show. <laughs> I'm not advising that you run out and do this. You, you shouldn't do that without talking with your financial advisor uh, because these things are complicated. It's not like a CD. It, it's not like they're they're guaranteeing a floor on your the investments those investments are going to be in an account and they're going to be invested they're very good uh we have a very good selection of, of funds in there but if the funds don't keep up with the guarantee that's what you get to fall back on is uh let's say let's take an example let's say I'm 57 today which I am and 10 years from now I'm going to be 67 I'll be eligible for full social security so I'll take the well It'll probably be seventy by the time I get there. But anyway, today <laughs> it's sixty seven. And if I put a hundred thousand dollars in there, they'll guarantee the income off of hundred and seventy thousand dollars. And I think it's a little over five percent right now. Now that that's gonna change over the next that's the way that sets today. That will change over time. Might go higher, might go lower. Don't know that. But uh but that, you know, when you're looking at that. To go from one hundred thousand to one hundred seventy thousand over the next ten years. Now, if the investments do better than that, you get to use the investment number. I don't think it's going to, but I think that's a really hard number to beat. But anyway, so I take the one hundred seventy thousand and multiply that by I think it's uh, the income on that. It's it's somewhere north of five percent. I you know I'll look it up and talk about it next week. But. That's a very, very viable option. You're getting close to retirement for a portion of your money, particularly the portion that you're thinking about putting into bonds. Remember I said bonds are only paying about, they're going, be, they're going to be paying less than 3% here in another week or two. Less than 3%. So if you're looking at bonds and you're comparing bonds to the minimum guaranteed returns on these things, it's, it's pretty good. By the way, this particular product doesn't have a sales charge it doesn't have a penalty if you decide that you want to go somewhere else or you know a year later you win the lottery and now you don't need any money so you just want to get rid of it there there's no cost of doing that that's one of the biggest differences between this one and a lot of the the other products that are being sold out there uh another big issue is the cost of managing the portfolio it is a lot lower inside of this product than many, many, many of the other ones. And it's transparent. They show you exactly what you're paying. A lot of uh, products, there, there's a good reason most people don't like annuities. There's a really good reason. The vast majority of them have expense ratios in there that are astronomical. And your account value is the, uh, it's not growing very fast. And if you take money out, you get big penalties. Well... Uh, With this product, you can avoid a lot of that. I hear the music. That means my show is over. Boy, that went by really fast. If you'd like more information, just go to my website, Bullington Capital. Reach out there. I'll be glad to respond to you. Other than that, have a good week, everybody. Good luck and good investing.
0: You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420. The answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at three three zero six six four zero seven hundred. 664 That's three three zero six six four zero seven hundred. 664 Or online at bullingtoncapital.com. That's bullingtoncapital.com.
1: Past performance may not be indicative of future results. from the advisor or any other investment professional. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.